Okay, welcome to the Arantia Radio Podcast. It is so good to be back. Oh, I missed being here. Um, uh, since we've been doing this project, which is now approaching about 30,000 downloads, uh, we're reaching people from all over the world. I just got a wonderful email from Brazil, of all places. Um, so there's been a lot of good stuff. I've talked to a lot of good people in the Arantia community. And I talked with Chris Wood who is the, or was the president uh, of the Urantia Association. And he has stepped down from his role after over a decade. He and his wife are so filled with the spirit, and I know that they will be missed. Uh, But I also know that Chris says he uh, plans on still being involved, so he's not going anywhere. Um, Also want to share something with you, something that was very moving and emotionally moving for me and also something that really humbled me um, in talking with Chris he introduced me to Jerry Johnson who was the president of free Wor- uh, free schools world literacy and she is doing wonderful things and other Urantia book readers including Mark Bloomfield Robert Conrad and the late Sue Tennant are all dedicated, lifelong Urantia book readers. And they are involved in uh, the World Literacy Program. And it's, um, the reason it's humbling is because there are people who get into the dirt and the people that have the real grit These are the people that um, just have this ability to just jump in. Uh, And in some of my discussions with Jerry, and it was mainly through email, uh, we both have this immense uh, respect for Mother Teresa. And we were engaged in the dialogue where we were talking about the fact that when you take the Urantia perspective and you think about Mother Teresa, um you think to yourself, boy, that whoever thought adjuster was in Mother Teresa probably gained the most valuable experience of any thought adjuster. Or another way of looking at it is that Mother Teresa had such a powerful thought adjuster that she was able to deal with what she was able to do. And these are the people like Sue Tennant and Robert Conrad and Mark Bloomfield and Jerry Johnson, they go into these places that you and I will never see, uh, these little villages, and they teach young girls how to read. I mean, it's such a simple thing. It's a, it's a, such a simple transaction. And yet that differentiation gives that young girl an opportunity to escape poverty and to embrace literacy and to change her life. And so the program is called freeschools.org. You can look at it up on the, on the internet. And again, it's just an, an organization that is driven by Urantia book readers and they volunteer their time and their efforts and they go deep into India, Bangladesh and elsewhere and teach young girls to read actually give them literacy so that they can have a shot uh, 
at a decent life with education. Freeschools.org. And so every time somebody listens to this podcast, I get point zero 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 one five cents. And what I've been doing with the money is letting it build up and then buying your ranch books and then giving them to people that I know. Uh, but I want to do something different for the next year, 2021. Every time you listen to a podcast, uh, you know, you're, you're, I, uh, the company <laughs> is going to give me 0. 0.00015 cents. So if a thousand people listen to this podcast, I'll get $15. Full disclosure, right? I don't do the, for the money, obviously. But all of that money in the year of 2021 is going to go towards freeschools.org. Every cent. And I'll verify it. I'll, I'll send you a picture and I'll post it on the website, yourrancherradio.net. But I want to help these people. And if I can enlist you to give me your point zero 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 one five cents, <laughs> we can do something for these people. You know, freeschools.org. That's the other way I can help. Just go to that website. And if you want to just give them $20, just do that. Uh, it's an organization, like I said, that teaches young girls five-year-olds, six-year-olds, ten-year-olds uh, in places like Bangladesh and little villages that you can't pronounce. Uh, because if they can't read, then they're going to be sold in, or they're going to have a, an arranged marriage and they'll end up in a village uh, just producing unwanted children. They'll have no chance at a decent life. Now, I'll tell you what they, they make these people remind me of. They remind me of the Nodites. Um, you know, these are, you know, again, taking the Arantia perspective, what what Jerry and, and her team are doing is tantamount to what they could probably be doing in the future, volunteering to be a, a, a planetary prince uh, 100, similarly to what happened with you know, the nodites here on, on this world. Can you imagine, you know, in your future estate, volunteering for service where you go and you get to help live and help foster civilization among a primitive race? And in some ways, that's what these people are doing now. They're going into these villages where people are illiterate. They, they don't have smartphones. They don't have internet. Maybe they've seen it. Maybe somebody they know has it, but they're just living day-to-day -day looking and wondering what's going on. And so these people go in and they do something, and it's it's humbling, trust me. So freeschools.org, okay? So we're going to come back in a minute, and uh, we're going to examine what I think is uh, pretty important. It is um, paper 72, and we're going to get some friendly advice from... A Melchizedek who just happened to stop by. And so we'll do that in just a moment here on your Rancher Radio. But first, we'll have a little bit of a music interlude. We'll see you in a moment.
It's good to have you back. And so we're going to talk about something that um, has to do with a little bit about what's happening in the world today, but really about just how we can all be better. Um, and it pertains to paper 72. Um, so on this particular episode, I want to talk a little bit about life on a neighboring world, okay? But, but before we get there, I want to talk about Melchizedek. And for those who, who know and understand the Arantia book, Melchizedek was the person who taught Abraham monotheism and singled out uh, Abraham and who ended up founding uh, the basically the Hebrew religion, which uh, of itself was based on monotheism. And uh, Abraham was the chosen individual by Melchizedek. And for those who want to read up on it, uh, here's what Wikipedia has to say about Melchizedek. <clears throat> the king of righteousness is the uh, Aramaic uh, and the Armenian definition of Melchizedek. Also translated Melchizedek or Malchizedek and was described as the king of Salem and priest of Elion, often translated as most high God. Mentioned in the 14th chapter of the book of Genesis, he brings out bread and wine and then blesses Abram and El Elyon. In Christianity, according to the epistles to the Hebrews, Jesus Christ is identified as, quote, high priest forever in the order of the Melchizedek. And so Jesus assumes the role of high priest once and for all. And um, it is speculated that the story of Melchizedek is an informal insertion into the narration, possible or possibly inserted in order to give validity to the priesthood and tithes connected with the second temple. It also has been conjectured that the suffix Zedek may have been or become becomes a reference to a Canaanite deity worshipped in pre-Israelite uh, Jerusalem. It's a mouthful. So um, basically what they're saying, uh, and then there's one little quote from Genesis uh, 14, 16 through 20. And it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed them and said, Blessed be Abram to the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth and blessed be the most high God with had delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave them and he gave him tithe from all. Uh, I got a brush up on my Bible reading, but anyway, so all of this stuff of course confirms the stuff that we read in the Arantia book having to do with the Melchizedek uh, or Machavinta Melchizedek who came here 2000 years ago and rescued the world from being forever in darkness because really at the time uh, there was no cohesive religion uh, uh, or monotheism was not what was existing in Babylonia at this time. Uh, every city had their own deity. It was a very scattered affair. So we're taught all this, and this is what Melchizedek's do. So they come in and they, they teach you something that, 
will change the course of, of history or it will change the direction of mankind. This is what they did with Abraham. Uh, Melchizedek did what he did to prepare the soil so that when Jesus would later arrive, because Melchizedek knew Christ was destined, he, he let everybody know he was going to be making an appearance at some point. And Melchizedek, being part of the receivership of our darkened world, stemming back to the Lucifer Rebellion, and us being quarantined like a virus. Isn't that funny? You know, here's Urantia, the our world, quarantined. We're actually, <laughs> we're not allowed to get through. Our email doesn't get through to the uh, central universe, so to speak. So Melchizedek's job, even in the afterlife, are to be teachers of truth. They are the, oh, they're just a, they're, they're a, an embodiment of the uh, creator son that uh, only respect could ever be given. And even in our own history and even in our own Bible, there is great respect given to this Melchizedek. And so a Melchizedek narrated the life of a planet in the Arantia book. In paper 72, there was a Melchizedek who provided the narrative to how life is lived on a planet similar to our, to our own. And so many of you who have just, you know, read the Urantia book know this is true. Uh, and in this paper 72, as this Melchizedek is giving a narrative of how a particular group of people live on this world, they give this information to us because they want us to learn from this example. This world is very much like our own. It had an Adam and an Eve that defaulted. They were also corrupted by the planetary prince who had fallen to the Lucifer idea of self-liberty and do your own thing. And, uh, and it also has, as we have had, a pretty stable world at least in some respect, which I'll get into in just a moment, where a civilized or a civilization has evolved, where, which has great potential to continue to advance and become more spiritual. And so the Melchizedek who provided this narrative in paper 72 uh, provides us a, a sort of a pointer. Listen to this and learn from these people. And, and maybe you too can, you know, kind of keep yourself on the right course. Okay, so I want to draw attention to uh, three aspects of Paper 72. Uh, family life, social service, and their political system compared to our own. Now, Paper 72 covers, uh, the name of the paper is called Gov Government on a Neighboring uh, World or Government on a Neighboring Planet. And they're in the same system, so they're a neighboring planet in the sense that somewhere out there, not that far away, probably within 30 to 40 light years, is a planet that has life on it, and it's very similar to us, <clears throat> which I'll get into details with in just a moment. So I, it, I felt it important to 
make this presentation and and give you the reference who is the narrator and the and the narrators <laughs> of a pretty high order so take it for what you will okay so pretty unique uh in fact i don't think i i don't know of any other book that claims to have a personal narrative of how life is lived on another world can you think of it other than you know maybe science fiction right so so maybe we should take a break. Why don't you, um, let's do this. Why don't we take a little bit of a break. You go get yourself a cup of coffee. I'll go get myself a cup of coffee. And we'll come back and we'll kind of explore this uh, interesting paper about life on another world. And, and see what we can extract from it and learn from it. And, and maybe even inspire us to take a little closer look at how we're doing things now. So... Why don't we take a little uh, break, an intermission, and I'll see you back here in about a minute. And, and enjoy this wonderful piece of music that I love. So this is what Melchizedek narrated as his revelation of life on another world, made available to us in 1934. I'm going to read it verbatim, but I reserve the right to provide commentary. The similarity, and I'm reading it now, the similarity of the two spheres undoubtedly explains why permission to make this extraordinary presentation was granted. For it is most unusual for the system rulers to consent to the narration on one planet of the affairs of the other or another. Paper 72 uh, Section 1, Paragraph 1. Notwithstanding all of these planetary handicaps, a very superior civilization is evolving on an isolated continent about the size of Australia. This nation numbers about 140 million. Its people are a mixed race, predominantly blue and yellow, having a slightly greater proportion of violet than the so-called white races of our world, Urantia. These different races are not yet fully blended, but they fraternize and socialize very acceptably. The average length of life on this continent is about 90 years, 15% higher than that of the other peoples of this, this planet. The industrial mechanism of this nation enjoys a a certain great advantage derived from the unique topography of the continent. The high mountains on which heavy rains fall eight months a year are situated at the very center of the country. This natural arrangement favors the utilization of water power and greatly facilitates the irrigation of the more arid western quarter of this continent. These people are self-sustaining, that is, they can live indefinitely without imparting anything from the surrounding nations of this world. Their natural resources are replete, and by scientific techniques they have learned how to compensate for their deficiencies in the essentials of life. They enjoy a brisk domestic commerce, but have little foreign trade owing to the universal hostility of their less progressive neighbors. Jumping in at paper 72, section 1, paragraph 4. This continental nation in general followed the evolutionary trend 
of the planet. The development from the tribal stage to the appearance of strong rulers and kings occupied thousands of years. The unconditional monarchs were succeeded by many different orders of government. A board of republics, communal states, and dictators came and went in endless profusion. This growth continued until about 500 years ago when, during a politically fermenting period, one of the nation's powerful dictator triumvirs had a change of heart. He volunteered to abdicate upon condition that one of the other rulers, the baser of the remaining two, also vacate his dictatorship. Thus was the sovereignty of the continent placed in the hands of one ruler. The unified state progressed under strong monarchical rule for over a hundred years, during which there evolved a masterful charter of liberty. The subsequent transition from monarchy to a representative form of government was gradual. The kings, remaining as mere social or sentimental figureheads, finally disappearing when the male line of descent ran out. The present republic now has been in existence just 200 years, during which time there has been a continuous progression toward the governmental techniques about to be narrated. The last developments in industrial and political realms having been made within the past decade. And so this Melchizedek writes... As he continues, as he shares with us how this other continent, on this other world, in close proximity to our own, somewhere out there spinning in space just like us, the continental nation now has a representative government with a centrally located national capital. Sounds familiar, right? Like the United States of America, and we've got our Washington, D.C. <clears throat> The central government consists of a strong federation of 100 comparatively free states. These states elect their governors and legislators for 10 years, and none are eligible for re-election. State judges are appointed for life by the governors and confirmed by their legislatures, which consists of one representative for each 100,000 citizens. Kind of uh, not dissimilar from our own but there are some uh, things like for the fact that you can't be reelected so they have term limits right there are five different types of metropolitan government depending on the size of the city but no city is permitted to have more than one million people on the whole these municipal governors schemes are very simple direct and economical the few offices of city administration are keenly sought by the highest type of citizens. So think about that for a moment. This is a, a, a continent that has learned to make sure that power doesn't become too decentralized. And they've made everything very simple, direct, and economical. And that the few people that do occupy city government or state government or regional government are keenly sought by the highest type of people. So you don't have a bunch of politically 
driven individuals uh, infiltrating government. Interesting, isn't it? All right, so let's jump ahead just a little bit to the home life, which is one of the things I wanted to... So we've taken a look at the the political situation of this. And remember, this is Melchizedek. This is a Melchizedek teacher giving us information so that we can see inside and maybe extrapolate from what they're trying to share with us something that we can learn from. And so now we jump into the home life on this world. From paper 72, now into section 3 in paragraph 1. On this continent, it is against the law for two families to live under the same roof. And since group dwellings have been outlawed, most of the tenement types of buildings have been demolished. It comes to mind all those tenement slums. Remember that Supreme song? Um, Yeah, all those inner city buildings, right? They've demolished theirs. But the unmarried still live in clubs, hotels, and other group dwellings. Apartment buildings, right? The smallest home site permitted must provide 50,000 square feet of land. All land and other property used for home purposes are free from taxation, up to 10 times the minimum home site allotment. That's something I can sign up for. So, in this world, or this continent, they want to make sure that everybody has plenty of elbow room. Apparently, they, they realize that people too close together wasn't a good thing. Paper 72, Section 3, Paragraph 2. The home life of this people has greatly improved during the last century. Similar to us. Attendance of parents, both fathers and mothers, at the parental schools of child culture is compulsory. You know, I just read recently that China is implementing uh, implementing a plan where they have, before you can get married, you have to take a course. Isn't that interesting? And so on this world, they have parental schools of child culture, and it's compulsory. And it's something that they've developed in the last hundred years. Even the agriculturists who reside in small country settlements carry on this work by correspondence, going to the nearby centers for oral instruction once in 10 days, every two weeks, for they maintain a five-day week. So there's a little disclosure. Apparently they don't have internet yet on this world. The average number of children in each family is five, and they are under the full control of their parents, or in case of the demise of one or both, under that of the guardians designated for or by the parental courts. It is considered a great honor for any family to be awarded the guardianship of a full orphan. Competitive examinations are held among parents, and the orphan is awarded to the home of those displaying the best parental qualifications. These people regard the home as the basic institution of their civilization. It is expected that the most valuable part of a child's education and character training will be secured from his parents and at home. And fathers devote almost as much attention to the child culture as do mothers. All sex instruction is administered in the home by parents or by legal guardians. Moral instruction 
is offered by teachers during the rest periods in the school shops, but not so with religious training, which is deemed to be the exclusive privilege of parents. You note the word privilege. Religion being looked upon as an integral part of home life. Purely religious instruction is given publicly only in the temples of philosophy. No such exclusively religious institutions as the Urantia churches, our churches, having developed among the people. In their philosophy, religion is the striving to know God and to manifest love for one's fellows through service for them. But this is not the typical of the religious status of the other nations on this planet. Religion is so entirely a family matter among these people that there are no public places devoted exclusively to religious assembly. Politically, church and state, as people of our world are wont to say, are entirely separate, being but there is a strange overlapping of religion and philosophy. So in this place, uh, religion is strictly a family affair. And if there is any overlapping, it's usually with religion and philosophy, which is interesting because in our current society, religion is, is frowned upon in the academic uh, sphere. Um, but in this world, religion and philosophy overlap. So I wonder if that's because it's it's seen as more of an intellectual exercise. That's what I would suggest. But, boy, a lot of stuff here, right? A lot of wonderful, purely religious instruction is given publicly only in the temple or the temples of philosophy. Imagine if we had temples of philosophy instead of churches where people could go and they could be taught about thinking. And, uh, uh, you know, that kind of reminds me of the Unitarian. If you've ever been to a Unitarian church, which I've been, it's very much like that. They don't, they don't draw into specific religious uh, things. They, they look at the overall picture, and it's a much more holistic approach, I suppose. Okay, so in paper 72, as we continue on, and now we're kind of wrapping up the home life on this world, very similar to our own United States, somewhere in our solar system or our system of 619 worlds, and probably not a world that is too far behind us in terms of time because our world really, you know, the human, modern humans really only showed up about 40,000 years ago. And so this world probably is either slightly older than us, maybe it's planet, we're planet 606, so this is could be planet 605 or maybe it's planet 607. So in paper 72, uh, section 3, paragraph 7, children remain legally subject to their parents until they are 15 when the first initiation into civic responsibility is held. Thereafter, every five years for five successive periods, similar public exercises are held for such age groups at which their obligations to parents are lessened, while new civic and social responsibilities to the state are assumed. 
Suffrage, the right to vote, is conferred at 20. The right to marry without parental consent is not bestowed until 25. And children must leave home on reaching the age of 30. Oh, imagine that. Boy, think of the uh, how, how much we would lower the divorce rate. Continuing on, marriage and divorce laws are uniform throughout the nation. Marriage at before 20, the age of civil enfranchisement is not permitted. Permission is to marry is only granted after one year's notice of intention and after both bride and groom present certificates showing that they have been duly instructed in the parental schools regarding the responsibilities of married life. You see, these people take very seriously what happens in the home because they know that what happens in the home ends up happening elsewhere. And if you raise children, you know, I hate to go back into the past, but Dr. Laura Schlesinger, remember her? TV or radio host? You know, she used to say all the time, your job as a human being is to raise decent kids because you want those kids to grow up and be productive members of you know society. And on this world, now, you know, close to 200 years in, in existence, has realized long ago that the family is the central unit and what you produce has an impact on society at large. We haven't even gotten to that stage yet. Okay, so now let's go on to this final area, paper 72, where it talks about voting and um, also talks about statesmanship. And I want to just go through it. It's not much longer, but it gives us an opportunity to sort of examine how they view the citizen's role in society and what we can learn from that. So it reads on, although candidates for all public offices are restricted to graduates of the state, regional or federal schools of statesmanship, the progressive leaders of this nation discovered a serious weakness in their plan of universal suffrage and about 50 years ago made constitutional provisions for a modified scheme of voting which embraces the following features. Now, before I start reading this, I'm just going to tell you that only recently, if you're listening to this podcast, this podcast was produced in March of 2021. And at this time, there is a raging debate going on about a bill that is currently trying to be passed in the House of Representatives for the United States, which would basically allow anybody and everybody to vote in our national elections. Uh, and there would be a, a very low threshold of verification. And it would basically be like every human being that lived in the United States would get a ballot and they could vote without even verifying if they are a citizen or any number of other things that could pop up. You could vote for 10 people in your family and no one would ever know. So there, there's a real question of credibility as to voting. And what would change in our country if everybody was allowed to vote non-discriminately? And so it's interesting that I'm reading this because on this world, a Melchizedek, is, or Melchizedek is teaching us about what this nation has learned in, in their development, in their progression 
And this is the most advanced nation on this planet. So this is how they look at things. And then we'll close off with this. Every man and woman of 20 years and over has one vote. Upon attaining this age, all citizens must accept membership in two voting groups. They will join the first in accordance with their economic function, industrial, professional, agricultural, or trade. They will enter the second group according to their political, philosophic, and social inclinations. So you've got one for work and one for just who you are. Okay, so you, you, you are associated with two different types of groups. All workers thus belong to some economic franchise group and these guilds. Like the non-economic associations are re- regulated much as is the national government with its threefold division of powers. Registration of these groups cannot be changed for 12 years. So I guess that'd be like if you wanted to be a Republican or a Democrat, you got to stay that way, right? Number two, upon nomination by the state governors or by regional executives and by the mandate of the regional Supreme Councils, individuals who have rendered great service to society or who have demonstrated extraordinary wisdom in government service may have additional votes conferred upon them, not more often than every five years, and not to exceed nine such super franchises. So if you've made a great contribution to society, you actually get more voting power. You actually have more of a say in what gets voted on. The maximum suffrage of any multiple voter is 10. So you never get more than 10 votes. Scientists, inventors, teachers, philosophers, and spiritual leaders are also thus recognized and honored with augmented political power. These advanced civic privileges are conferred by the state and regional supreme councils, much as degrees are bestowed by special colleges, and the recipients are proud to attach the symbols of such civic recognition, along with their other degrees, to their list of personal achievements. All individuals sentenced to compulsory labor in the mines and all government servants supported by tax funds for the periods of such services disenfranchised. This does not apply to aged persons who may be retired on pensions at 65. So here we learn an interesting little caveat here. On this, on this continent, if you're in prison or you're in compulsory labor, you don't get a vote. So if you're not producing anything in that society or you've been somehow disenfranchised, you know, similar to how felons are not allowed to vote. With the exception being those people who are just simply retired at the age of 65, similar to us. Well, we have 67 now. Then you could still vote, right? But if you're a prisoner or if you're a felon, you don't get to vote. So they have that in common with us. There are five brackets of suffrage reflecting the average yearly taxes paid for each half-decade period. Heavy taxpayers are permitted extra votes, up to five. This grant is independent of all other recognition, but in no case can any person cast over ten ballots. So, think about that. 
If you have a, you pay a lot of taxes, you get more votes. Imagine how that would change things. So what goes on and it sort of talks about the executive and how they're voted every six years by a nationwide ballot. And in that election, no one can cast more than one vote. There's other things like that. It talks about how different groups can contribute. What one thing I like about it is that every president is allowed to be a part of a permanent cabinet, sort of like a council, so that they can all continue to participate, not so much legislatively, but they can contribute to the current president and offer that president advice and wisdom. And I want to read just this final area. I don't think it's very long, but it also describes the other nations on this world. And they say there are 11 on this world. The governments are decidedly inferior to the more advanced nations of Urantia. That's what they're describing. So these other 11, so the other 10 nations are all inferior to the more advanced nations of Urantia. So think of like the way it is in maybe the Democratic Republic of Congo or, you know, some outback region in Australia or something. Or, you know, just think of your own uh, real rural area, maybe in India. And think of it as a, you know, these are entire continents now that are just really backward. And so they write, just now the superior government is planning to establish ambassadorial relations with the inferior uh, inferior peoples. And for the first time, a great religious leader has arisen who advocates the sending of missionaries to these surrounding nations. We fear, we fear, so this is interesting, this is the first time in this whole section where this Melchizedek is saying, we fear that they are about to make the mistake that so many others have made when they have endeavored to force a superior culture and religion upon other races. So they're saying that this continent is about to make that mistake. What a wonderful thing could be done on this world if this continental nation of advanced culture would only go out and bring to itself the best of the neighboring peoples and then, after educating them, send them back as emissaries of culture to their benighted brethren. Of course, if a magisterial son should soon come to this advanced nation, great things could be quickly happening on this world. So this Melchizedek is saying, you know, they can do this, but wow, you know, if, if they had a bestowal son at this point, they would really advance. And they also make a point that we in America or in the Western nations have done very well. We've done that. We've gone and we've brought people back from, you know, it's very common for us to think about people from other countries, third world countries, developing countries, who go to places like London or the United States and they learn and then they take that information back to their countries. And so we're we're doing some things right. I mean, we're not at this point in some ways with these people. And you read in this paper, 72, where they, they, they take a much harsher view of crime. Uh, it sounds very similar to what we see going on in China today. But let me just conclude with these final three short paragraphs. 
Paper 72, Section 12, Paragraph 3. This recital of the affairs of a neighboring planet is made by special permission with the intent of advancing civilization and augmenting governmental evolution on Urantia. Much more could be narrated that would be, no doubt, interest and intrigue you people of Urantia. But this disclosure covers the limits of our permissive mandate. Urantians should, however, take note that their sister spheres in the Satania family uh, has that has benefited from neither magisterial nor bestowal missions of the Paradise Sons. Neither are the various peoples of Urantia set off from each other by such disparity of culture as separates the continental nation from its planetary fellows. So they're saying that uh, not only have we benefited from having a paradise son, which we all know as Jesus of Nazareth, but we're also not as set off. We're not all, all, our world is not as set off as differently by such disparity as this planet. So these people that exhibit or that live in this continent, they, they've really risen or risen rather to a, a much higher level than their neighbors. They're very different from their neighbors. And then this final section here, paper 72, section 12, paragraph 5, the pouring out of the spirit of truth provides the spiritual foundation for the realization of great achievements in the interests of the human race of the pastoral world. Urantia is therefore far better prepared for the more immediate realizations of a planetary government with its laws, mechanisms, symbols, conventions, and language, all of which could contribute so mightily to the establishment of worldwide peace under law and could lead to the sometime dawning of a real age of spiritual striving, and such an age is the planetary threshold to the utopian ages of light and life. And that comes from Melchizedek of that high spiritual order, revealing to us what life is like on our neighboring planet. And that's where we'll leave it this time up. Thank you so much. We, I've, I've asked you to spend so much time with me on this special episode, so we'll leave it here. And we'll see you next time on Your Rancher Radio, the podcast. Mm-hmm.